is a distance, right? Beyond the uh, home run fence, you know, places where I never hit balls. And you go over there, and there is a guy, and he has a hula hoop in his hand, and he is banging the hula hoop against the tree, trying to attempt to chop down the tree with the hula hoop. Just go with it, okay? All right? And you say to this guy, swinging a hula hoop, knocking at a tree, you say, what are you doing? And he says, I'm playing baseball. Now you really don't even know what to do with that one, right? Now you're really confused as you look at this and say, I have no idea what is going on in the world today when a hula hoop swinger is hitting a tree. So look at all those three, and you ask the question, who's missing the mark? Which of these three is missing the mark in what they're doing? Uh, All of them. All of them are missing the mark. The kid, even though they're playing in the dirt, and they're kind of innocent kids, and kids play in the dirt, they're not really playing baseball. The, the adults next to us certainly are not playing softball as they're playing in the dirt, doing the same thing that the kids are doing next door. And then this crazy man swinging a hula hoop at a tree, certainly we would recognize that as something nowhere close to playing baseball, right? Guess what? That describes often the church, a body of believers, or people that are, have at some point maybe said a prayer, became a Christian, or they kind of grew up around the Christian faith, and they have this identity that they have latched onto, many for the rest of their lives, this identity as Christian. But they forgot what it looks like to actually be Christian. And so if, if you read the Bible, and, and this year I started cranking in, and I'm you know, really reading somewhere between 14 and 16 chapters I'm trying to get through a, a day, uh, trying to read through this reading plan, which is just really kicking my butt, this reading plan. Um, has that ever done that to you, a reading plan? Yeah, so I decided I'd start in the New Testament because I knew if I got in the Old Testament, once I got to Leviticus and Deuteronomy, you know, my mind goes all over the place, and, you know, and I need to take a vacation. Uh, so... I started in the New Testament, and I've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read read them all already, uh, starting off this year. And then I got into the book of Acts as well, and I read through the book of Acts. Not quite all the way through it, about 21 chapters, so I'm getting pretty close in the book of Acts. And when I read about Jesus, this one guy right? Homeless guy who popped on the scene and started to share a message that looked very, very different than the message that had been shared by the religious leaders of the day. And let me pause for just a second. Do you know that the Pharisees were like, they were someone Jesus looked to with great, great hope. They weren't the bad guys to start off, but they never could come off the law. They never could come off the rules. They never could experience the grace that Jesus was trying to offer people. And so Jesus is preaching this message that's so, so different, right? So he goes on and he dies, right? He's he's resurrected. I mean, we have this group that says, I saw him, and it's recorded that way. But then we get to the book of Acts, and this is where it really hits the mark. Because when you open up the book of Acts, and you start to read in the book of Acts, you're not reading about Jesus Christ anymore, not directly, all right? Maybe in the first chapter. But Jesus ascends into heaven. He's no longer there. And who is it left in the hands of? The followers. It's left in the hands of the followers. Now, you've all been in a place in your work experience, in your family life, maybe in some little team you coach or something, where you had to hand over responsibility to someone for some task. 
Maybe it's one practice you weren't able to be at and you asked a parent, hey, can you think you can handle this? Or one day you couldn't be in the office and you're hoping somebody fulfills it. Or one day where you know, the older sibling who takes care of something was away and you asked the middle or younger or whatever works out in your house child to take care of it. And what do you walk through? You walk through this wondering, will it even get done? <laughs> and if it happens to get done, will it be done well at all, right? Yeah, we worry about that type of thing. Here is Jesus, right, who has made this incredible mark already in, in, this, in his area, and now he's going to hand it over to his followers. And here's the interesting thing. It is Jesus who has the most faith in his followers, and that's what we find in the book of Acts, chapter 1. If you read that, I mean, you'll be amazed that Jesus here, after all he's done, his leadership style is going to be, he's going to ascend up into heaven and he's going to be no more with his disciples. Doesn't seem to make sense, right? I mean, he died, right, but he's alive and well and he's still pretty young. But he ascends up into heaven to be with God. It's left in the hands of the disciples. And this is where the book of Acts gets amazing. Because we find that when Jesus leaves, that they still gather together. The disciples, they still get together. They're still spending time. They're still talking about Jesus. They're talking about what they saw, what he did. I mean, they're getting together, and they, they are kind of renewing and energizing and building, much like what happened yesterday with these 600 men who gathered and started to talk about men's issues and how men could really be better men of God. So that's what they're doing together. And then we get this amazing story of the Holy Spirit descending on that group, and they are different from that point. They're different. And the Holy Spirit comes in, they burst out, they start speaking in other languages to other people. Everyone understands in their own tongue. These are not well-educated guys. And even if they were well-educated, it doesn't mean they know all these languages, right? And now they're out sharing the Word of God in languages that they never knew with people that they didn't know who are hearing it in their native tongue. And this is an amazing occurrence, right? They're all excited and energized, right? And what does the Bible tell us? The Bible tells us that they start to gather together every single day. They start to devote themselves to the Word of God. They devote themselves to the teaching from the apostles. And they go even a step further. They say it's not good enough just to teach. It's not good enough just to get into the Word or memorize a few things that the apostles are telling us about Jesus. They started to sell their stuff and give it away so that they had resources to take care of the needs of anyone uh, in the group there. And so anyone who had a need, their need was met because these guys were selling things. That's how energized it was at the beginning of, of the book of Acts. And, and then we find out very soon after that, the disciples, they start to go. They start to move out from that room and from Jerusalem, and they start to share the word. They start to share. They start to do exactly what Jesus said to do. It's interesting that some of you, uh, when I look at your kids, I can tell right away it's your kids. Why? Uh, not because they get in the car with you and head out, but they have the same mannerisms as you. How in the world do they learn that? How do you learn how to, you know, kind of wink your face the same as your parent? It's what you see. 
it's modeled to you all the time, the subtle little things, right? Jesus modeled this to the disciples. So what are they going to do? They're going to go out and they're going to start sharing the word of God just the way Jesus did. And we find that they go out and they start sharing the word of God. And an amazing thing happens. God hits them in such a powerful way. He goes to Peter and he says, look, Peter, here's what I want you to do. I want you to now go away from the Jews. I want you to go to the Gentiles. I want you to go to this Roman's house and I want you to share the word of God. Well, in the Old Testament, I mean, for Peter to enter that house, he would be made unclean, right? And so here is God himself saying, go and minister to the Gentiles. And Peter's saying, no, no, I can't do that, God. Don't you remember you wrote da-da-da-da-da? And God said, look, Peter, shut up. I don't care. Go share the word of God. And Peter went and he shared, and the whole house became a Christians. That's the type of thing that's happening here at the beginning. Then you get these guys that sent out, right? And Stephen is one of these guys that goes out. And when Stephen goes out, he meets a, a group that's not really happy with the message. And so the result is they start stoning him, right? Stoning meaning they are hucking rocks at him to the point of death, right? That, that's kind of what's going on sometimes to the believers, and so Stephen's getting these rocks thrown at him. And what, is, what does he say as he's, as he's getting these rocks thrown? He says, similar to what Jesus said. He says, look, they don't know what they do, they're doing. Forgive them. And he was willing to just take the rocks for the sake of Christ. We find out after that, this guy named Paul, who was actually present at that stoning, this guy who is persecuting the church, who is putting to death Christians, he gets knocked off his, his, his perch and God grabs a hold of his life and says, look, I want to take your, your zealousness to destroy Christians, and I want to make you zealous for building the kingdom of God. And that's exactly what happened in Paul's life. And so the rest of the book of Acts, we get these incredible stories of some of Peter, but mainly of Paul and his journey spreading God's word. And we find these amazing little accounts. Like there's one moment where there's this great riot in Ephesus and this terrible thing that's going on and the people think they're going to get ripped from limb to limb, right? And it all kind of calms down and God, God saves the day here and they go their way. But this young Timothy gets left in the church. Young Timothy, right? And we get these letters from Paul where he, he tells Timothy, look, remain on. I urge you, make it, make it, make it. You'll be okay. Stay strong in the task. And guess what? In this short period of time, somewhere around 35 years, that, that town goes from totally pagan, Roman gods, to totally Christian. What in the world could happen in that short period of time? But somebody was boldly sharing the word of God. You see, when we look at the book of Acts, and you read through Paul's letters, which all kind of connect in with the book of Acts as well in the New Testament. When we look at that, what we find is this. That when Christianity started to go gangbusters, it's a movement. That's what we find. It's not a meeting. It's a movement. There's this powerful movement that is sweeping and the center of the movement is Jesus Christ. Now, did you hear that? The center of the movement is Jesus Christ. Why is that such a big deal? He's not there anymore. He's not the one there. His followers, so committed to him, are sweeping out and this movement is happening. It's an amazing thing. See, some of the dangers to us today is that we like the meeting. Do you like the meeting? I, I like the meeting. I like gathering here. I like looking out. I like seeing the, the seats filled. I don't like those two rows being empty over there. I like the meeting, all right? We, we do. But we forget sometimes that the punch of it all 
is the movement that happened in the book of Acts. And when we read the book of Acts, what we find is it is almost unstoppable. You see, when the, the disciples and Peter sp specifically started to share God's word there at Pentecost, well, they said, well, he's just a drunk. He don't know what he's talking about, right? Couldn't stop what was going on. When they launched out into a Gentile's home, which is a big, big no-no to the, the, the Jews, and especially the Christian Jews who had a long time before they could wrap them, their heads around this being okay, didn't stop what was going on. When Stephen being put to death here did not stop it. In fact, we find that Paul, thrown in prison, beat nearly to a bloody pulp. You know, and one, one time says he was beat so bad and he got up and he walked right back into the city that just beat him. Oh, that makes no sense. It's unstoppable. And I don't know about you, but sometimes in our nation, Christianity feels so stoppable. Does it not? It feels so easily stoppable that just the danger of maybe being offended or the danger of being labeled a, you know, a crazy person or zealot or, you know, a little too fanatical, all those type of things, it's just so easy for Christianity to be stopped. And I think that's because our focus often is on it being a meeting. It's a gathering. It's coming together on Sunday morning. It's having a great time together here with the family of God, which we do and we enjoy it. But we forget about the movement and the push that when we go out of these doors, that we are called to advance the kingdom of God the same way the apostles did in this book of Acts. Now, you may say, well, yeah, that's, that's Bible times. It's in the Bible, of course, because that's really significant. But if you studied church history, you would actually find that there's periods of time where the, the growth of Christianity exploded even past the explosion that happened in the book of Acts. There's even times in church history where the spread of the gospel was so rapid that it's even more rapid than the story in the book of Acts. Why? Because there's these certain times where the people of God, they got so convinced about this movement of sharing the word of God with other people and living their lives completely sold out to Christ that it just became infectious. Right now, in many of our, our Wesleyan churches overseas, this is what's happening. In China, when they opened up the door slowly to Christianity, they were amazed. Hundreds of thousands of Christians, hundreds of thousands of Christians, already believers living it out, who had just kind of been underground, quiet Christians. Why? Because there was a group of believers that believed that this story of the book of Acts is a movement that has to continue and it has to move on. And it can't be stoppable. And so they were working it through these underground churches and making it happen. And we find that today. And one day, I'm telling you, one day that will all fall in China and Christianity will be known, will be known throughout the nation. One day. Because it's a powerful movement going on there right now. And so in, in the U.S., that's what we have to remember, that it is a movement, and we struggle with that. We really, really struggle with that. This morning, um, I want to introduce to you our theme of the year. Last year, if you remember, the theme was stand. We wanted to just empower you to stand for your faith. If a hard time hits your life, you know, if your marriage started to struggle, we want to empower you to just stand. Don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. Just stand. But this year, we want to empower you to do more than just standing. We want to empower you to send you out. 
And so our word this year is the word outward. And our focus is getting outside of ourselves. You see, I think the core issue, why Christianity stalls out and why it's so easily stoppable, is I really like myself. (laughs) And I really like taking care of myself. I like thinking about what Tom might like and what Tom would want to do. And does that fit into Tom's schedule? And um, does that challenge me? Because if it challenges me, I may not want that because I don't so much like to be challenged too much. Oh, I like to be challenged in the things that I choose to be challenged in, but, uh, ple- but please don't challenge me outside of that. And on and on and on the conversation goes in my head. I kind of like myself. I'm narcissistic. Can I just say that to you? It's what I battle more than anything else in life. I, I would guess, if you're honest, you probably have the same battle as well. And it stumps a movement. Absolutely stumps it. When I read in the book of Acts that they sold what they had to give to somebody in need, I can't think of the last time I sold something. Now, I can think of some times where, like, I had some excess that month, maybe some extra income and stuff, and I said, well, I'll go buy that for him and send it to him. And that's one thing, and that's good. But can I think of, like, selling what I have, getting rid of what I have, meaning I'm now going to do without so they can have? Ah, it's self-focused. And so the challenge this year is to say, I want to go outward. I want to get outside of myself. I want to think about someone else or outside of me. Now, don't mistake this word for a second. It doesn't just mean I want to get outside the doors and I want to go serve people because I can actually go out here and be involved in a service project and I've never fixed the me problem. I'm still locked into the me problem, but because I went and served for an hour, I feel really good about myself now, and I can check that off on the box and say, hey, I served. Thanks, church, for putting that event on, and now I've done that. No, I'm talking about when we view ourselves and we view how we interact with Jesus Christ in our life, that we get outward. You see, the Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that we're to have uh, the same outlook as Christ who emptied himself, and the Bible says made himself nothing. Jesus is saying, look, I have every right to be up here. You know, I am, I am created, I am not created, I am connected, excuse me, to the triune God. I have every right to be up here, but I'm going to bring myself under here for your sake. And that's what he's called us to do as well. That's what this word outward is all about. It's a challenge to us to say, look, we maybe have every right to be up here in certain situations of our life, but guess what? We're called to come under here and be outward and to serve and to care for other people. And so that's our focus this year, the word outward. In fact, the Bible tells us, if you have your Bible, take a look at John chapter 13. This will be a theme verse for the year, actually. John 13 in verse uh, 35 gives us just, what I would say is just a real clear, clear understanding of what this word outward means and how we can be visible and be a part of this movement. 13 verse 35, it says, says this here. By this, all men, all people, will know that you are my disciples. How? If you love one another. If you love one another. I find it's very, very difficult to express my love for my wife and for my kids when I'm thinking about what I want. It's hard. It's really hard for me to express my love and concern with, you know, like my neighbors uh, if 
I only really care about, you know, my property, my yard, my things. It's very hard for me to think in that way at all. But this verse says, how do they know you're my disciples? If you love one another. And so it's a powerful verse that we're going to share many times over the course of this year. Let me move into really call it the second act this morning and talk about uh, how does this kind of connect with us here at Wendover Hills. Now, for a long period of time, I've shared with you a phrase for the last three years that has been really a mission statement for us. <clears throat> Here's the phrase here. It says, to help one more person find their way back to God. That's been our mission. It's been our focus here at Wendover Hills. It's a simple way that we put into our thinking that we want to be about drawing somebody else back to God. You say, back to God? I don't understand. What does that mean, Tom? Does that mean people that were Christians and now they're kind of far away from God? No, we mean the God in heaven created us all. He designed and created you, put you on this earth with a purpose and a mission and yet so many have strayed way away from that purpose and that mission and even that relationship from the God that created them. And it's our God to usher them right back to that God. Usher them back into that relationship with God, their creator. And so to help one more person find their way back to God. You have it right there on your sheet in front of you, right? Anybody not get a sermon note? If you want one, Richard's got some in the back. You can slip up your hand and, uh, and he'll bring you one. Um, will you repeat it with me? Say it with me. The mission statement. To help one more person find their way back to God. Yeah, see, that was kind of like volume-wise pretty lame. So let's think about this being a core statement of who we are as believers in Jesus Christ. Will you say it again with me? To help one more person find their way back to God. Good, good. All right? That's a little better. All right? That's our mission. That's our mission. Here's the problem, though. When we think about our mission, I think you could ask most people across the nation who are in evangelical churches, and you could say, hey, what's the mission of the church? And they would probably tell you something similar that we just read. They would say something about making disciples of Jesus Christ or, you know, going out and, you know, uh, helping people become Christians. Or it would be something very similar to this. And so the question is, well, what does that mean for us as a church? How does that define us, or how does it help us do what we do as a church? Because if you make something too broad, too general, sometimes it's very hard to decide what are you actually going to be as a church. Now, if I looked in a, just a one-mile radius here, there's some great churches in this one-mile radius, and I went out and I found everything they were doing to impact the kingdom of God, everything that could somehow fall under the phrase that we just read— we could probably launch ourselves about 86 different programs here at the church. And, you know, since we only have about 170 of you, 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 like every two of you would be in charge of a program right here. And since everybody else was in charge of a program, nobody would come to your program. Um, but you two you know, would be in charge and you could really run with it. That doesn't make much sense to us. So the question is, well, how are we going to do what we do? What really contribution are we going to make to the kingdom of God here at Wendover Hills? Let me read you this vision statement. It's in your, um, or the vision for us. It's in your, your sheet this morning. It's this. We want to make disciples who worship God in obedience, who spiritually grow in community, and who love others in service. What we're saying there when I read that statement is we want to be a church that makes disciples who worship God, but who worship God in obedience. 
Now, I'm going to talk about this a little clearer later on at, at the end of this, this message this morning. But what we're saying is we want to be unique in the sense that we want to keep challenging obedient growth to God's Word, obedient Christian living to God's Word. You see, sometimes we get so wrapped up in the word grace that we forget about the word obedience as well, that God has called us to live a certain way. He's called us to live a certain lifestyle. In fact, the Bible is even bolder than how I just said it. The Bible uses the word, He commands us this way. And you might think, oh, wait a second, Tom, you're talking Old Testament stuff here. We live in the New Testament. No, no, that word is in the New Testament when it talks about this, this type of living. And so we want to teach our people to worship God, you know, to express themselves. So on Sunday morning, we want you to have freedom to worship. You want to stand and raise your hands? You want to kneel down? You want to do whatever? Go for it. You know, you feel like you have a little bit of energy to pop up and down the aisles? Hey, wh- whatever. Worship the Lord, and we want you the freedom to do that. But we don't want our worship to just be centered under how we're feeling and what the Spirit might be doing within us. We want our worship to also be carried out in obedience. How we live, how we care for other people, what we say yes to, what we say no to, what we're willing to laugh at and not laugh at, what images we're willing to let our eyes see, and what what we're saying, no, 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 no way, I'm not seeing this, my kids aren't seeing this. Obedient living. It's significant. You see, in the contemporary church today, this is something we struggle with. All right? and, and I have at times struggled myself in, in asking, how do you teach this? How do you really put holiness living out there? But I feel so strongly that one of our distinctives here at Wendover Hills has to be that connection between grace-filled salvation and holiness lifestyle. And it's so incredibly important for us. And that's why at times when when I stand up here and I share truth and I share God's word, I realize that at times it steps on your toes. I realize, uh, for for a couple of you, let me just share a couple things here, that if I push and I share about living together outside of marriage, that that's going to be stepping on some toes. I understand that. We're in 2013, 14 now. And I realize that's that's an issue that's countercultural now to share God's truth on that. And I realize that when I push on you about anger that you might have and that you haven't dealt with in your family, men especially, listen to this, I realize that steps on your toes and it pushes you. Because there's these great settings where you're doing such a wonderful job controlling it, yet there's these few small settings still where it just goes like bonkers, right? And it steps on your toes. But in many of these things, can I just convince you that when I'm sitting down to share and to write this message... I am almost always stepping on my toes first. The hardest part in ever getting through writing a message is overcoming what I feel like I fall short on myself. And how do I stand up and share that with you when I know it's my own issue as well in many things that I teach and share with you about? But we have to be that type of body of believers. We have to be a body of believers that keeps extending grace and keeps sharing with people about the love that Jesus Christ has and about a Christ that will accept them right where they're at, just like the woman caught in adultery, but that he won't leave them there. That he now says, look, go and sin no more. Now live a life of obedience. Live a life of holiness and watch what that brings. It's just simply better living. The second thing you saw there is to spiritually grow in community. Meaning, we want to be a church that truly is a family church. 
a church that has community. Now, you throw everybody in the room, a good group of friendly people, and you're a pretty good group of friendly people, you know, just about all of you. So, no, you're a good friendly group, right? But family doesn't just happen because of that. Community doesn't just happen because of that. It takes two commitments, really, to have community on this level that we're talking about. One, it takes a commitment from me, the staff, and the, the whole really governing body of the church to look and to say, how do we strategically create opportunities for people to connect within communities? We are a small group model church. Meaning, we want every person in a small group. I mean, I will twist and beg and, uh, you know, stop short of putting the guilt on you. We'll maybe go a little over putting the guilt on you to try to get you plugged into a small group somewhere, somehow. And if you're in one and you think, man, this is not quite connecting with me, this isn't quite working, um, I'm telling you, I will stay up late at night trying, trying to strategize how to launch a new group or tweak a group so that it is a comfortable right fit for you to grow spiritually. It's so important, the community that you have with eight to ten people. And so it takes a commitment from me as your pastor, from your leadership team, to, quite, to be working on those type of things. But it takes a second commitment. And the second commitment is you. It takes a commitment from you. It takes a commitment to stand up and say, all right, I'm not quite drawn to those kind of things. Um, sometimes when pastor talks about them, I think he's a little bit of a weirdo anyway. Um, but I'm going to take a step out in faith. And I'm going to trust it connecting with these 8 to 10 people at Wendover Hills who are hearing the same kind of message and who are walking through the same type of things or being challenged in the same areas as me will be a huge benefit and impact to my life. And so I'm going to step out in faith and I'm going to give that a try and I'm going to plug in to a small group. That's just one form of community. On Now, when we stand on Sunday mornings and we greet one another, I, I have had many pastor friends that are like, you should do away with the greeting thing. I mean, I've read it in books. Get away with the greeting. You know, people don't like to stand and be greeting. I recognize there might be a, a, a minority that doesn't necessarily love to stand every week. And, but there's something, when you sit and you watch it from my perspective, when I get up here and see what you're doing and how you're interacting, there are some of you that are so incredibly gifted in this, in this uh, greeting time that you stand up and I've watched you. I watch you bypass the person you know, almost to the point of, you know, making them feel bad so that you can get to the person that you don't know. And you can introduce yourself and greet yourself and say, you know, hey, I'm so-and-so, you know, this is your first time here, and things like that. And, and some of you, I, I know that you're not incredible with names, you forget names, but it doesn't, like, it doesn't stop you. You still go up and say, hey, I, you know, I'm uh, so-and-so. They say, yeah, we met three times. And you don't let that stop you. You keep going because it's, you're just wired within you to do that. It's a small form in five minutes that community can happen and be built. When I first got here, I was so amazed by uh, Dan and Patty Kidder because it seemed like every week, if somebody new rolled into, especially if it was anybody that rolled in here that might have you know, been disenfranchised with the church world and stuff, <clears throat> I don't know how they did it, but within 20 minutes, they had that person locked into their car heading out to lunch with that person. Maybe not locked in. It was probably a choice. So it's this community, these things that happen, you know. Um, that's so important. You know, I worshiped in a church for three years that the church was trying to transition from being a church of anonymity to a church of community. That's a hard, hard transition. It's hard. And churches have built their platforms on just come, 
we're not going to mess with you. Just come and watch. And when the Spirit takes over, you know, maybe you'll be ready to step up and, and join the family and be part of us. And I think what we have done is we've flipped that and said, no, that's not good enough for us. The moment somebody comes in, at the risk of maybe even going overboard, we want them to feel like they're cared and they're noticed and they're remembered. Now, do we miss it sometimes? Yeah. Yeah, we blow it sometimes. And every once in a while when I discover we've done it, I mean, I cringe. You know, literally those are the nights when it's, it's harder for me to go to sleep knowing we might have blown it with somebody who was new or disconnected, that it was reconnecting or whatever the case may be. But being a, a body of believers that keeps growing together in community. Andy Stanley says this, and I've said this to you probably 10 times. Spiritual growth almost always happens in community. Almost always happens. So if you're all alone by yourself, and you think, you know, that's all the spiritual growth I need, that's probably not true. You probably need the community. And so I encourage you today, if, if small group is that thing, then get plugged in right away uh, with a small group, some way, somehow. If you say, I've, I've looked at all the small groups, none of them seem to work for me, Tell me that, and I, like I said, we will figure out how to get a new life group or a new small group, excuse me, started as well. And then finally, love others in service. Like, if you don't like to serve, if you don't like to care for other people, if you don't like to be challenged to step out of yourself, um, then you've got you to like tune out about five or six different times every Sunday morning to what we're saying because we just feel like we are going to be a body of believers that serves and cares for other people. If you say, wow, man, we hear a lot 2540 all the time. You know, we hear it like every week. You know, what I'm saying is tough. I mean, that's, that we are so plugged into what God is doing up there that we can't step off of that. And this week, I, you know, I, I had Dave Dude come to our, our staff meeting and I said, tell us all about what's going on at the Agape thrift store that they're launching here. And I heard this whole vision about what, what is going on at this thrift store. And I mean, Dave stops the restaurant business that he had been in, how many, like 78 years you'd been in it? <laughs> Something like that. He'd been in the restaurant business a long time. Stops this, and now they're launching into a Christian thrift store down in Archdale. They have the building, starting to build uh, everything that, that, that they need ready to go. And so you're going to start hearing more and more about how we can serve and connect as a body of believers in that. We just believe everyone has to be involved in that. And so it brings us to programs. If this is our vision and our focus, then what programs are we going to have? Last Sunday morning, I told you that you might have noticed <coughs> we don't have a youth Sunday school class. We probably won't have a youth Sunday school class, at least not until we have two services. And the key is, is reason is 95% of our teens are serving in the kids' ministry program, and they're doing a phenomenal job down there serving. Now, they're all assistants to, you know, uh, teachers who are of the, of the age that makes us a little more comfortable. But nonetheless, they're down there serving, and it's amazing what they're doing. I don't want to pull them out of serving. I don't want to pull them out of owning the responsibility, doing their part in God's kingdom here, so they can be a part of another Bible study, which they have on Wednesday nights. And so they're down there serving. What programs are we going to do? Here's the kind of what I would say. It's anything and only those things which accomplish the mission. And so when we look at what we just talked about, our, 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 our vision of those three things, if it helps us accomplish that, then we'll try to do it. As best as we're resourced, as best as we have leadership to do it, and as best as we have buy-in for participation, 
but we're not going to launch anything just because another church does it. Or just because maybe the church that you came from did it, or the church of your childhood, if you've been out of church for a long time. It doesn't mean we don't appreciate some of those ideas, and they probably worked pretty good at your churches and in other places. But we want to say we have a focused vision of what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. And so we have to launch programs that get us on that track. And so that's our criteria. Let me talk about just a couple things that I think have to happen, nuts and bolts thing, as we're driving on this mission, vision, and program. Four things that I think are crucial, and they'll lead us into the last section of our teaching this morning. Uh, Number one is we have to have increased staff here. It's just so vital that we add to staff. There's a book I read a long time ago called 151, and basically the whole gist of the book was that once you get to 151 people in your church, and when you talk about 151, we're not talking about regular attendance, but on your care list, if everybody came on, this, on the, that Sunday, you'd have 151, right? People you care for. Yet your leadership structure has to change. And I want to tell you, I'm going to be honest with you. I read that book, and I balked at it. I thought, you know, we run, we run things a little different around here. So you know, that's not really going to affect us because we look at things different. You know, we have so many people that kind of step up and volunteer and care, and we do. It's pretty amazing. I've never been at a church that has as many people step up and do as much in volunteer service as this church. Pretty amazing. But I just kind of balked at it. Well, guess what? We got to 151. And when we pass 151, we sit right about 221 now in our care list, and we average about 165 to, to 170, somewhere in there. Um, and you know what? I get it. I get it now. I understand. I understand that there's times when you need a pastor to care for you, or you need leadership to help you and come alongside you, or you just need like some answers to questions, or you're the one stepping up to lead and do, and you just want a little bit of direction in how to do it, that it can't always be offered because we don't necessarily have the staff that is capable of covering all of our, hundred, our 221 on our care list. Staff is so incredibly important for us. What we did last year when we put our budget together is we built in two staff positions. If you remember, one was a children's director position that has been being covered by uh, my wife, Cherie, for the last really about two and a half years now. Now, our kids program has grown phenomenally. Uh, phenomenally. has grown very good, very well. I'm going to lose this. All right. Uh, the growth has been pretty, pretty good down there. <laughs> We went from three classes that we were just like, I mean, we were kicking down doors trying to get people to staff three classes to running five different classes, hall monitors, kids check-in system, and it is all volunteer covered every single week. Every single person today, in the last month, in the last six months that we've been here, that is down that hall is volunteer. There's not a paid person that runs that kids program. They're doing it all volunteer. It's amazing what we have grown into on that level. Pretty phenomenal. But we recognize that as we keep growing, there's things within our kids' programs that we want to even further do. And it's really going to take a paid staff position, somebody who can dedicate time throughout the week. Parents, if you're a parent of a kid, one of the things we want to make sure we do is connect with you and resource you on how you can tie in what's going on down the hall with how you do devotions with your families throughout the week. And if you're not currently doing any devotions with the family, guess what? We want to show you how easy it is to set up devotion time and work through that with your kids. 
We've not been able to do that uh, up till now just because all of our volunteers are so tapped in what they're doing. And so we recognize we built that into our budget and it's taken me four months. <laughs> it's taken me four months to process, to look, to talk to a few people. Then I landed on somebody and in that period of time it took about four or five meetings for us to really talk through because I really felt like we cannot miss it on staff. Can't miss it. That staff person is going to know all of you in a matter of a month, and it's so important that we get the right person. And so after a period of time, uh, we, as a board, met, and I, I interviewed somebody. We talked through uh, tons of stuff in a four-month period. And today I'm ready to announce to you, to share with you, that we have offered uh, a children's ministry. We have hired a children's director who will take over our children's ministry program. And so um, I want to uh, do two things. I want to uh, introduce her in just a second. And, and then I want to say a word uh, about my wife and, and what she's done down there. So um, I'm trying to see if she's in there. Uh, but uh, there we go. So uh, Leslie Leonard, would you come up for just a second? Oh. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to, um, you know, I tell you guys that I really labored over this. Not because I didn't think Leslie was a strong candidate. I would have never even talked to her in the beginning. Um, but I want to make sure we hit it right. That we hit a home run on this. And uh, and so as we processed, it became clear last semester was not a good semester to hire her with with her schooling. She's finishing up just with where we were as well. And now is right, and it's a perfect time. So, um, so I'm really excited about Leslie coming on. Uh, when you wake up tomorrow, she will be you know, officially on the clock. Uh, so <laughs> if you have any ministry concerns, <laughs> any kid ministry complaints, please direct those this way. So <laughs> do not bother me ever again. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Uh, we're really excited about what Leslie's going to be do, able to do. Now, I, I want to share with Shri, will you come up too? Um, Shri has really built this program, and, and one of the things that I've been most impressed about is not all the nuts and bolts of what's going on. That's been good. But the buy-in from the teachers and staff has been pretty phenomenal. Um, and you've got a group of teachers, room leads. Um, I mean, you, you've got these guys that work security in the hall, and they are all so bought in to what's happening down the hall in our kids' ministry program. And I recognize it looks a little bit different than other kids' ministry programs. I recognize, but it's all for a reason and a purpose as well, to get the Word of God into your kids' heads so that they can then tell you it through their mouth. That's a key component of what's going on down there. And so, um, so when, as Leslie's coming on, she, she's going to work with Cherie for the next several months, and then at some point when they're comfortable, hand it off entirely. Um, but this program's not changing. Uh, it is just being added to and being tweaked and being advanced now. So will you, uh, uh, will you really just thank Cherie for her service and, and as well? Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. All right. Thank you. The other staff position, um, I, I've been really banging my head around on assistant pastor. I was at a, a, a conference with a group of pastors uh, this past week, and um, in fact, I wanted to recognize uh, Todd Reynolds, who is our assistant superintendent from the district, is here. So would you stand for a second, Todd? 
Um, thank you. Yeah. I made like one little crack about the church discipline in that meeting, and you know, they send the sister superintendent first Sunday out. So, um, but I, yeah, I was sharing in this meeting that, that uh, Todd and our DS, Jerry Lumpson, put together, and, uh, and, I, and I had to tell the pastor, I'm having a hard time with the whole assistant staff position. Looking at traditional models of, of uh, staff isn't quite connecting with me. And so I started this week to really process as I was writing this, what is our vision and what's our focus and what's our programming? What does it look like? And I thought, you know, there's really four key areas, are there not? We want to get people in, right? We want to invite people, and we want to bring people into the church to hear about Christ. Then we want to retain people. We want them to stay around long enough that they can be discipled. That's sometimes a hard task in and of itself. And then we want to disciple people. We want to build them up. We want to grow them in the faith. And we want to send them out, right? We want to build people up and then us all kind of sit together holding holy hands together. You know, and we want to send them out, Right? Those are four key areas, and I'm sitting there at my desk thinking about vision. I'm thinking about those four key areas. I actually wrote them down on paper, and it just kind of connected with me. Well, that's how we should be hiring. That's what our staff should look like, bringing on staff that helps us as a church to bring people in, that helps us to keep people connected, that helps us to raise people up and disciple, and that helps to send us out, to have those clear focus on that area. And so as we're looking at staff, I feel... That for the first time, getting my head around what I'd like an assistant pastor to look like for us. And so we're searching, and we're looking for that additional uh, staffing as well to help in these areas uh, also. But that brings me really to my second thing that we have to have, and we talk about mission, vision, programs, and that's budget. It's so incredibly crucial that if we're going to add staff, if we're going to really hit the mission of what we're about, we have to fund the mission as well. It's so key and so central. And you might say, well, oh, you know, doesn't God just provide? Uh, yeah, he does. Guess who he provides through? Us. Us. You. Me. That's how he provides. In fact, when Stephen was stoned, do you know what Stephen's job was? Stephen was going out and collecting money for the widows. You see, the, the church had a vision. We want to do this. We want to care for the widows. Let's send some people out to collect funds. And that's what he was out doing. And so it's so important that the budget of the church is met. All right, I want to share personally with you. And remember I said I step on toes sometimes. And uh, I'm sorry if it does it, but uh, no, I'm not. So uh, let me share with you. I went out on a, a Thursday afternoon. I had gathered most of the board together at 2 o'clock, and we were looking at a building, sitting on a piece of property. And I was looking, you know, uh, at, you know, the Garden of Eden. I thought, this is it. We have found this. I knew the inside information on the building. Uh, I knew the, the financials. I knew that they were what, uh, kind of where the offer was going to be on this. And I thought, this is like, check off, check off, check off, check off. This is perfect here, right? Land to expand on, existing building, in a neighborhood, connecting with the community. I thought, well, well, yeah, this is great. So I got the whole board together, and we went out, a pretty good number. We went out there, and we get to the parking lot, right? And we're supposed to meet the real estate agent at 2 o'clock. No real estate agent, right? 2.15, no real estate agent. 2.30, I said, well, maybe I should give this lady a call. And so I did. She answers the phone. I said, uh, yeah, you, you know, we're in the parking lot over here. And she said, oh, you didn't get my email? 
No, um, I don't think I got it, and then still went to the parking lot. So uh, I didn't get an email, and she said, hey, last night we accepted an offer on the building. Oh, out of the blue, I didn't even have any idea anyone else was looking at the building. And I went, that day, I put on the bravest face with the board. I said, well, this isn't the place the Lord has for us. You know, and we all, you know, all went away smiling. So that next day, it was Friday, it was my day off, and I went up to uh, McDonald's. I was sitting and I was reading, and, um, and by that time, it was the next day. I was wallowing by then. I, I was beyond wallowing. I was, I was angry, you know, because I have been in, you know, 60 or 70 buildings or so in the last two and a half years, and it just seems like it's just, nope, 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 no, 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 you know, on this. And here, I thought, this is, I, you know, I'm, I'm ready to pull the money out of my own pocket for the down payment today, and then it's gone. So I'm wallowing the next day. You know, I'm shaking my fist a little bit, and I've never really been a God complainer. Why did you do this? But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm towing the line there on this, talking to God. And I, this thing hit me. Uh, in light, when we're talking about budget giving um, and things, this is the phrase that hit me. I don't know what quite to do with it at the time, but this is what hit me. I'm sitting there, and the Lord very clearly said, Tom, how am I going to trust you, meaning the church? Um, I'm just part of it. How am I going to trust you with $1.1 million building, which we think that's about what it's going to take. How am I going to trust you with $1.1 million building when only 37% of your people trust me with anything that looks like regular giving? And I was stopped in my tracks just like that. Just like that. And of course, I'm a logistics guy. I'm a fixer. So I wanted to know right away, well, what does this mean? What do I tell the people? Hey, we're no longer going to do this. We're now doing this. I couldn't even think about what that was. I didn't know where to go logistically with it. But I just know God put this challenge in my head to say, we have to reach budget. That we have to be obedient with our tithes and offerings. That we have to be generous to what the Lord's doing. And we have to fund the mission of what he's doing here at Wendover Hills. And I recognize that all of us get in these little pockets of time in our life where something is totally haywire, and I think God finds grace, a little grace. But the struggle, and I think the frustration that God expresses, is we let ourselves live in those places for years and years and years, never returning to financial obedience. And so it's clear to me that just from a straight, you know, nuts and bolts, we cannot move forward on our vision of getting into a building without meeting budget regularly. You see, we built into the budget to be putting away for the, for the building fund. We've actually been doing that the last couple months. Um, we put that away. We, we put away in the budget to, to cover staff and to cover uh, children's programs and youth programs and all, all of these type of ministries that we do. All of that's built in already into the budget. But if we can't meet the budget, we can't continue to fund those type of things. And as a board, we felt like it's very important to say, I don't want to miss the mark on children's ministry. I don't want to miss the mark on outreach ministries by taking dollars away from them so that we could put dollars away for the building at this point. But my heart, be honest with you, I want to fund it all. Every single bit of it, I want to fund. And so I messed around with some numbers. Um, If we took every adult at Wendover Hills. And we said every adult lived at the poverty level of $13,000 income, right? $13,000 income uh, a month. 
Now, some of you, I know, you, you're, you're out of work, you're not making any of it, but there's others of you that are, that are working um, and you make way more than the 13. So let's just say 13 across the board, all right? If you're a married couple, we'll call it 26, okay? All right, double it up. If you just took those numbers across the adult congregation, we're not counting your kids here, our weekly giving would be almost four times what our budget is. Almost four times the weekly giving if we all gave at a rate of an income of 13000 um, So I know the Lord wants us to be obedient in this area. Um, and it's so crucial for the, the future of our church that we make budget for the building program moving into and for funding the missions. The third thing that's, that's so important, and I think I would put this above all of them, and this is something that keeps getting pressed into my face, and I think, gosh, I better start listening to this very clearly. The third thing is prayer and fasting. That it is so crucial that as a body of believers that we quit asking before we're really asking the right source. Meaning, I can't keep asking you if we're not together asking God. And so prayer and fasting is just so, so significant. Fasting in our, our day and age is, is nearly forgotten unless you're trying to lose weight. And then, you know, we say fasting when really we mean diet. But fasting is just simply saying, I am going to go without. And in my time of without, I will focus all my effort, energy, thoughts, and even pains that come along with it. I will focus all that to the Lord usually praying over something specific. And here for us, I think uh, there are many things that we can be praying for, whether it's building or salvation of a friend that you've been trying to reach or whatever it is, but prayer and fasting is so incredibly important. The final thing that leads us into, uh, leads us into our, our final section here is the word you. Yeah, we really need you. It's so crucial that the body of Christ at Wendover Hills that we need each other entirely. And so I want to walk through these five words real quick here. And I want to start at the bottom, if I could. You see, um, sometimes when we say, well, what's, uh, what's expected out of us? That becomes the point where we're like, I'm a little confused. Well, I understand our, our mission, and I kind of understand what Tom's talking about with programs and stuff, but what does that mean for me? What's expected out of me? What do I do? And sometimes in churches, like, this is the best-kept secret. Well, the pastor and the staff, well, I know, but you never know, which means we, have done, we do terrible jobs sometimes in the church world sharing in this miscommunication. I thought I'd show you a little video to, to uh, just get your juices flowing on this miscommunication thing and what, what, uh, what that's all about. Take a look at this.
And that's somehow times how it can go, right? This miscommunication and not knowing who is saying what here. And so I'm going to just focus this for the next few minutes on these, these five words. And call them expectations if you want, but, but things that I believe that if we were to just all get on board with and be all in, all of us, you would see huge impact uh, to here at Wendover Hills in reaching our mission. Here's the first thing, is the word honor. I'm, I'm starting at the bottom, and, and I'll come back up. The word honor is the first one I want to talk about. The word honor, and that is mean, meaning honoring God in our worship, honoring God in who we are, and living out our Christianity. And I want to share with you just a couple practical things here that I think are so incredibly important. And I want to hit you with the first one, and that is just show up that we show up. Can I tell you, I've never in 16 years of ministry shared a message on why your church attendance is so important. I've never done it. I don't know. I've always been a little scared about doing it. thought everybody would take it legalistic and attendance-based. But can I just tell you how incredibly important it is for you as a believer to show up to church? To show up. You see, if you talk with most people, they would say, yeah, I'm a regular attender of a church. Well, guess what regular attendance actually means in a contemporary-based church? 2.3 weeks a month. 2.3 weeks a month over the course of the year, that is a lot of weeks missed. 1.7 at least for every month that has four weeks in the month. That's a lot of weeks missed. 12, 15, 20 weeks missed. And we say, no, I'm a regular attender of that church. See, there is something that is missing when we are not in worship. It's something for you, and it's something for the person sitting next to you as well that is missing when we miss church, and when we don't prioritize being in God's house. And for so long, we have, we have really tried to rationalize why being in church is not such a big deal. We try to say things like, you know, well, isn't the body of Christ people? It's not really the building. Um, it's clear we don't care a whole lot at this point about the building, all right? We rent in a school. You're in a gymnasium. But gathering together is incredibly important. And if you don't believe it, you can track 52 verses in the Bible that steer us into this direction about meeting together and being in God's house collectively together as a family. In fact, I think remaining this morning, you're going to see a couple things in just a few minutes that you will experience that you would not have experienced if you were sitting home watching the preacher on TV this morning. It's not, it wasn't going to happen. It's so important. You never know also when somebody comes in this door that you are the person 
that will impact them. If you took the word outward serious, that there's somebody you might be able to build into that you wouldn't build into if you were at IHOP. Wouldn't happen. And so being in God's house is so incredibly important. Show up would be the first thing. But then there's a second thing, and we talked about obedient living. It's really living in obedience. And I want to show a little illustration to, this, to show this. Um, who we got? Ray, will you come up and sit in this for just a second? Let's say I got, I got Ray in that chair, and I've got, uh, I got my Bible in this chair. And this is the way we work in, in most things in our life. You see, in most things, as believers, we talk about being in God's Word. We talk about what God's Word has to say on something, right? And that's significant, all right? This is the absolute authority here. Then over here, we have, uh, let's call it Christian wisdom, all right? Raise somebody I sometimes go to, process things with, bounce stuff off of. And this is maybe somebody, and you have somebody in your life, who can give you Christian wisdom. Somebody who knows the Bible themselves, who's lived the Christian experience a while, and who can kind of say, well, you know, I think you're missing the mark here. I don't think God would be saying this to you. So this is Christian wisdom. Call this chair in the middle. It doesn't have anything on it. This would be, you know, wonder of God. This is when we say, you know, I think God is calling me to. I just feel like God is saying this to me. We have this chair as well. And this is a viable real chair. This is when we're praying and we, we say, God answered my prayer and he said this. This is the wonder of God. So we have the word, we have the wonder, and we have wisdom. Now, are all those good? Absolutely. Here's where the danger is. We like so much to live in just one of these three areas. We like to interpret what we're doing in our Christianity through one of these. We have some that, I mean, the, to know the word of God is crucial. In fact, this coming year, we want to make sure we are defined as a church in our teaching that teaches the Word of God. Over the next eight weeks, we're walking through the parables, straight inductive Bible study for the next eight weeks as we're looking at the parables. We want to know God's Word entirely. All right? So it's important. But sometimes, if we study God's Word, or if we study a few passages that fit into something in our life that we're going through, have you ever known that the Bible can actually be twisted? that we can actually use the Bible to say what we want it to say if we find the select passage here and there that we kind of like the sound of that, you know? I'm never, gosh, I just don't really have a cheerful giving heart. Oh, wait, wait, doesn't the Bible say, you know, God loves a cheerful heart, so if I'm not cheerful, I shouldn't give. You know? We love to use things like this, right? But then we have the chair right here that is the wonder of God. And a lot of people love to live in the wonder of God. Maybe they get caught up in the emotionalism of, of worship or, or, or whatever it may be. And they like to say things, uh, I just feel like the God is speaking to me. I spent some time with God and I think God is saying this to me. And so they kind of live in this area entirely. Well, guess what happens here? We can be dictated by emotion. You know, I get kind of emotional on something. I get kind of moved. And we say, that's God. He's saying to us. And everybody else around is saying, I have no idea what you're hearing, but <laughs> that ain't God. We can get caught up in emotionalism sometimes right here. And over here, I mean, Ray's a good dude. He's a good guy. Um, and, you know, there's sometimes where I get some good Christian wisdom from him. But if I were to only live in Christian wisdom here, coming and talking, or let's say it's not Ray here, but it's a book I'm reading, you know, by some popular Christian author, and I only get caught up here, well, guess what? I can get led astray. I can get led astray by well-intent people who are trying to give me some sound advice, but in the end, they're really giving me their commentary on the situation, the best that they can give it, the best that they think. So what do we do? Thanks, Ray. What do we do? 
We are people that when we talk about honoring God, we have to honor God with the word. Knowing the word of God and knowing what it tells us to do. And we'd say, if it says it in here, I'm doing it. Period. If the Bible says in here, look, any sex outside the context of marriage, all right, is sin, then I'm going to believe it, and by faith, I'm going to live it out that way. But also, we've got to spend time with God. We have, to, we have to get to a place with God where God speaks to us sometimes, and God speaks to us almost like it's audible for just me to hear. We have to sense those times when God is saying, look, I'm calling you to this, I'm calling you away from this, and that's important. But we also have the time where we, we take these things and we go to Christian counsel and we say, hey, man, tell me, what do you think about this? I read this in the Word. I feel like God is telling me this. What do you think about this? And they say, look, I'm going to confirm that. That really sounds like it's from God. Or, you know, well, show me the passages you're reading. Let's talk about that. Let's see if we're really hitting that right. When these three things are tracking together, then we find that honoring God is so much easier. It's so much easier to really get a feel for what God is saying to us and how we better be living because of that. And so these things work together well under this word honor. Now, I know we could take a lot of time and really process the word honor deeper, but we just don't have time today. So let me jump on to the word reach. God has one incredible marketing campaign. Guess what it is? It's you and me. That's it. There's no backup plan. He's got no other marketing strategy. Anything you've ever seen on films coming out about Jesus and all those kind of things, guess what? We're the ones going to see him, <laughs> believers. We're the ones sitting there in the theater seeing him. Uh, you, you and me, we are God's plan to reach this world. That's what it is. In fact, in the, in the Old Testament, not the Old Testament, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, we were talking about earlier, when the disciples went out, uh, we get no glimpse of anything other than them walking into a town uninvited, not even knowing they were, they were there, and just start to share God's word or start to build relationships and to reach out to people. That was it. That's the only way. You know, today we, you know, we get really excited about little, you know, the Bible app and, and all this kind of stuff that we can do now. But there's no substitute for just opening up relationships and meeting with people and sharing with them about Jesus Christ. Here's a problem. I find that in anything in my life, the more it means to me, the more you get to hear about it, like it or not, right? In fact, I have one friend who, um, he's probably right, you know. I want to punch him, but he's probably right. Um, but he's, he says, do you, do you got to tell me every time you go to CrossFit? <laughs> do you, I mean, do you really need to post every time you go? And I'm like, so I'm going like, I'm working this year to try to not post, but I'm like addicted. So, but he says, he, he, he lives in California, and he says, you, do you really need to tell me every time you do a pull-up? You know, do, um, do we really need to hear that? But I, there's something, I'm just so like energized right now in the last four or five months with this, this exercise program that I've never been energized with before that, yeah, I have this need, you know, to, to tell. It's like I've shared with you an example before, you know, if, if somebody likes a girl, you know, um, somehow her name slips into conversations. Because the thing that we are enjoying or that we're passionate about, it finds its way, and you hear about it. It's the same way with the gospel of Christ. If God is moving in my life, if this word, wisdom, and uh, wonder are, like, really tracking in my life, well, guess what? People hear about it. They hear about it. 
and we share, and that's just how we reach. That's what we do. In fact, you are the best minister for your sphere of influence than anyone in your life. You're the best one. I can't do it in your life. So if you think, man, if I could just get Tom to my work and he could just share a couple things, guess what? I can't do it. It won't, it won't work. It won't fly like it's working in your head. But if you do it, if you build the relationships for the specific purpose of inviting somebody either into church or into a conversation about Jesus Christ, that's how we start reaching people. In fact, it's not something that's an extra for those that are a little more gifted at doing this. The Bible tells us this is our responsibility. In fact, it goes so strong to say that, I mean, this is after you become a Christian, after you become a believer in Jesus Christ, this is what you're now on earth to do, to share the gospel with other people to invite other people along with it. And can I tell you that sharing the gospel goes a little further than just throwing out a, a cute little anecdote on your Facebook. It is opening up relationship and conversation about what our Savior can bring to somebody's life. The next word is the word connect. I told you I was at church before, and I really believe that I could have gone to that church on my own for 10 years, I could have sat in the same seating section for 10 years, and unless I really stepped out to try to connect, I would have never connected with anybody at that church. Just was too big of a church, just couldn't, couldn't find the connection point. For us, the expectation is that every single one of us would connect, that we would have community, we would build community. I already talked about the two-way street on that, my commitment to that, your commitment to that as well. But let me tell you what happens when we start really tracking on community and building into each other. Then we start to be the support for one another as well. We start to be in situations where in your small group, somebody goes to the hospital and your pastor can't even beat the other small group members to the hospital because that's how your small group is wired and how it's working and how you care for one another. And so we start building into another and caring for one another. And I'm convinced that the person who says, you know, I don't really want that in my life is just a person who's putting up some brave front. But at the core of our being, we want community. Let me share with you how I know this. In God's word at the very beginning in the book of Genesis, God creates man, right? Adam is running around the gardens doing his thing. God looks down and says, not really working for me. It's not really good for him to be alone. I need to find a suitable helper word in Hebrew, partner, all right? Partner. I need to find a suitable partner for him. And so what does he do? The man falls asleep. Woman is created. What is God saying in that interaction? Why didn't God just say, hey, Adam, um, it's just me and you, bud. I I'm God. I'm all you need. You know, just, let's just hunker down together and it's going to be awesome. We say that sometimes, don't we? God says, no, I want you to have community with other human beings this deep, rich community. In fact, it's so important in your life, I'm not going to supply it for you. Other than he created Eve. But Eve was created, and now there was this union community that Adam had with Eve that he wasn't going to have on his own. Community is so important to God. He's designed us and wired us that way. And so we help each other, we connect with each other, and we build into one another. I want to also show you how this works. Last night, I got a text late at night that Amy Hester, who's uh, you know, a dear person in our church here, that she unexpectedly lo lost her father. Uh, no sickness, uh, no quite explanation, just her father passed away unexpectedly last night. Um, this morning, I talked to her on the phone, and 
And sometimes in the Christian world, when things like this happen in our life, Christians draw away from the church. Non-Christians draw to the church. I'll never understand the phenomena, but it happens. I told her on the phone this morning, and she said, I have to be in church this morning. I have to be in church. And as I was talking to her, the reason of why came out very clear, because this is her family of believers. And I want to take a moment before we continue on and wrap this up. If, if I could just ask, Amy, do you mind coming up with your family and we might just have a, a word of prayer with you before we continue on? And this is what the, the community of believers do for one another. They hold up and support. And so I, I want us to do that. If, while they're coming, when they get to the front, if, if you are, are one that uh, would like to, to just come forward and and lay hands or pray for them alongside of it. Please do. You don't even have to know them, but if you just know the situation, you know the pain of that, uh, or if you just say, I don't know anything about it, but I'd love to join in prayer, would you just, would you just come on up and we'll, we'll pray for her. Lord, we lift up the Hester family. Lord, I, we don't know all the circumstances, and I'm sure uh, the Hesters are still figuring that out. But Lord, the, the loss is real and clear. And so Lord, we would ask that in your unex, uh, unexplainable and, and, and odd way, Lord, that you offer this peace that's beyond all understanding, that you offer uh, this some form of care and compassion and concern that comes from you, our creator, our God, I pray that you would give that to the Hester family right now. They would sense it and feel it. And though their grief is real and it remain, will remain strong, their comfort would be in you. And Father, I recognize when these things happen, there's, there's a ton of details that you're flooded with as well. Lord, could you pave the way for that to be easy, for them to be able to walk through that with little question mark on that side of it? And that they would really be able to embrace each other as a family and give each other what is needed. Lord, I pray for Wendover Hills and this family, however we can be a, a group that reaches out and loves them as a family, provides for them as a family, that we would do that. Whether we know them or not, um, that every person would just own it because I'm part of this family here. And so I'll, I'll care and serve. Lord, we lift up, lift up them to you, and trusting that you are a God that has something to share and offer, even in painful situations. We pray in your son's name. Amen. And so when we're called to connect, I mean, that's what we're called to do, to care for one another, lift each other up. Uh, it's, it's easy to, to do that when times are great, when times are tough. It's really, it's really an impact on what the family of Christ will do for one another. The, the, the fourth word is the word grow. And that's growing in our Christian walk. I think there's a prevailing thought in contemporary churches, and it's, the prevailing thought is this. I'm a Christian. I go to church. That really ought to be enough. And before you dismiss that and say, that's not me, Start to evaluate yourself and your growth. Evaluate what time and energy you put in to learning more about God, to reading God's word, to studying his word, to be challenged by other people, and ask yourself, does that really describe me? I'm a Christian. I go to church. That really ought to be enough. 
Well, let me tell you the answer to the question, really, in God's word. No, it's not enough at all. That we don't become saved and we're done. We become saved and we get on a journey. You know, I've been doing Taekwondo for a few years here. I'm very, very close to getting my black belt. And wouldn't you know that they would say, when you get your black belt, they view it as your training's not done, you're actually just beginning. The, the, the black belts, I mean, they don't tell you this when you're, you know, they don't tell the color belts this, but the black belts will actually say, you know, those color belts, they don't really mean anything. <laughs> Once you become a black belt, now you're beginning. And now for the next 40 years of your life, you can progress through the black belt thing and well, that's kind of a jip, you know, a rip. <laughs> that's what it is in Christian faith. That when we become a Christian, that salvation, that's so incredible. I mean, we've sealed the deal for our eternity to say yes to Jesus Christ and make the most important decision that we've ever made. But we just start from there. We start this progressive journey about knowing more about God. And I've shared with you the phrase that I really want you to remember, and that is that our Christian growth is giving everything I know of myself to everything I know of God. That that cycle, everything I know of myself, I give to God. And then when I learn more about God, well, guess what? I, I learn more about myself, which means I've got more to surrender to God. And the cycle just keeps going and going. And as it's going, we keep deepening and deepening and deepening. Ask yourself the question, does it define me? I'm a Christian. I go to church. That really ought to be enough. Growth is so incredibly important for us to do. And finally, this issue of serve. Over Christmas, I asked a few of you if you would write out some cards at the back table and things that your family did to serve. And I've got a couple of them I just want to read. Um, one of them just said this. We went caroling, Christmas caroling, to two nursing homes. That's amazing. I mean, if you were to think, wow, well, what's the big deal? We went saying a few songs. But to care for people that on a weekly basis only have their, their paid nursing staff that actually cares for them, but to have somebody unconnected with them from the community come in and spend a few moments to sing and interact, that's a big impact that was made there. Here's one I, I want to read to you. Our family collects spare change all year long in a giving jar. We then pray about who God wants us to bless. We then deposit the jar on the doorstep in the middle of the night. It's awesome. We never know how much is in the jar. Only God knows. I mean, that's amazing that the family would get together and would be not only doing this, but modeling to, I would assume kids in this family would be modeling, here's what we need to do. I could see this if, if this family has many kids. I don't know. I could see those kids carrying that tradition on to their own homes down the road. This is a person who provided a meal for all the participants of a stop bullying program. That takes a lot, of, a lot of time and effort to cook and provide meals. I don't know how many people were part of that program, but a significant, significant thing. Here's a family that agreed to spend less on ourselves this Christmas and adopt four of their, uh, their karate students who were in need of some assistance this year. That's what we were talking about before when the disciples said we're going to sell our stuff and we're, then we're going to give the proceeds. You know, they were going to take less and care for. That's service. Did you see all of those? Not one of those were church programs. We didn't sponsor any of those. We just said, do something and tell us what you did so that we could highlight it as well. 
That's the body of Christ. See, the body of Christ is not the church puts on a program, you come fill all the time slots, we go away thinking, man, we served, it was awesome. Those are good events, we do them every once in a while. But it's when we catch fire to serving ourselves, when we start to look at things with different eyes and we start to think, um, hey, there's that person, Uh, maybe I could take them to lunch today, or maybe I could do just some small thing to bless their life today, or maybe I'm going to say, hey, family, let's do without and we'll do for as well. It's this thing of serving. And so at the end of this, honor, reach, connect, grow, serve, those are key words. What are expectations? My expectation was that every person at Wendover Hill would be honoring God, showing up in worship and living a life of obedience to him. That every single person at Wendover Hills would be involved in reaching a friend. And that would mean that ever so often you're bringing somebody along with you to sit right here next to you. And then you go to lunch with them or you go out and you say, hey, what'd you think about that this morning? Let's talk about that. That's our expectation, is that every single person would be doing that. Our expectation is that every single person would connect in community. No person's an island here. We all need to connect, which means there's a commitment on my part, but there's a commitment on your part as well to make that happen. Our expectation is every single person would be active, growing in their Christian walk. Now, we provide opportunities, discipleship class in the small groups and those type of things, But there's also your own personal commitment to growing, getting up, getting into God's word. Psalm 5 says, Give ear to my word, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry. For unto you will I cry, My voice shalt thou hear when? In the morning. Uh, Probably there's not a big church meeting going on that morning. That's that person rising up and getting into God's word, getting with God early. That's our expectation. And then our expectation is every person at Wendover Hills would be involved in serving. Serving. Getting out and being creative in your service, but loving other people and serving them uh, when anything arises. I mean, we need kids workers all the time. We need greeters, all that kind of stuff. That's true. But I'm even thinking beyond that. Serving in your neighborhood, at your school, wherever it might be. Do you know that there's a group that has been coming to the school here and setting up chairs. Now we set up, I don't know, 180 chairs or so, but we set up all 300 chairs. There's a group that's been coming every time they have a performance and need chair set up. That means there's two janitors here who don't have to set up all those chairs because there's a group of men who have been coming and setting them all up in about 20 minutes. That's service. That's stepping outside of yourself and that's going into the community and making an impact. And I can tell you, because I've talked to them. Those two janitors, it's a huge impact that those guys have come and they've done that. Our expectation is every single person would serve. Now, let me finish by saying this. None of this, anything I've talked about this morning and this, I know, long message. Reach, connect, grow, serve, honor. Mission, vision, uh, programs. All those four things I said we, we need. Movement over meeting, any of this. All of it is meaningless if we're not first willing to get outside of ourselves. The narcissistic mindset can't accomplish anything for God's kingdom. And so this morning, the overarching question is, are you ready as a congregation to be outward, to get outside of ourselves? Here's how I've put it in the takeaway uh, at the bottom of your outline. The word outward, and here's the definition that we're using, to get beyond my comfortable Christianity to get beyond that, to get outside of myself and do what it is God has called me to do as an individual follower of Jesus, as a member or a regular attender of Wendover Hills Church, 
I'm willing to get out beyond my comfortable Christianity. And so this is what I'm going to ask this morning. As I close in prayer, um, I wanted to send you away with something that was kind of a kind of a reminder and impact and maybe just a cool gift as well. And so on the tables on your way out this morning, there are a hundred shirts just like the one I'm wearing. And we want to give one to you. Every single person in here, a free gift to us. Uh, we've got all the various sizes uh, there, and so hopefully we'll cover all the sizes within here. Um, so, well, 99 now shirts are back there because I'm wearing one. But we want to give you that as a free gift. Now, I know you like gifts. I like gifts. I like t-shirts, so I really like gifts. Sheree's always trying to get rid of my t-shirts, and I'm always trying to funnel them back into the house. Um, so I know you like that, but I want this to be an impactful shirt. I want this to be something that in our prayer time here especially, if you're ready to say, look, I, I understand. I'm part of the Windover Hills family, which means I have a responsibility to what God is doing in this church, and I need to step up and, and get on board with these type of things. And these won't happen unless I get outside of myself, outside of my comfort. If you're ready to do that, whether you're a member or not is irrelevant because you guys know some of you have been members a long time, and this is the challenge you still need to hear. If you're ready to do that this morning, I want to challenge you at the, at the end, when we're done, please go get a shirt and wear that shirt proudly, knowing that this word is my commitment this year. And that when I wear it, not only am I witnessing to what it means, but I'm being accountable to myself that I'm going to carry out its implications. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for a congregation that's, uh, that's willing to, to sit through a, a long state of the church, a long message about vision and focus and, and who we are and, and what we need to be. Lord, uh, a congregation that's really even sit and willing to be told, hey, this is your expectations of you. And Father, I just want to pray for the mission of this church. Lord, when I look out, I, I see us impacting really hundreds in this community. I see this, this room right here, I'm sitting here, being packed and being pushed into thoughts of second services and those type of things because we want to become a movement because we're so passionate about what you've done in our life. We can't help but share with other people. And so, Lord, move us well beyond the meeting mentality into a driving force for our faith to reach, connect, grow, to serve, honor in all we do. And, Lord, help us to get outside of ourselves, to be outward this year, to view everything through different lenses, and then to take the action necessary to be a follower and a disciple of Jesus Christ. We lift this up to you. We pray in your son's name. Amen. Well, we're going to collect uh, our tithes and offering. Our ushers are going to come through in just a second here. If uh, you happen to fill out a card as you came in this morning, uh, if you drop those in the offering on your, on your way out, that would be great. 7 o'clock tomorrow morning, there's a group of men that meet, and we pray for everything on those cards. So we'd love for you to, to get that. If you don't quite get it filled out for the baskets, come. That's okay. You can just bring it right back and drop it with one of the ladies at the, uh, the t-shirt table, and they know what to do with it as well. That would be, uh, that'd be really good. Now, this song that we sang earlier, we're going to finish off and sing it again. And I realize with new songs, sometimes you're trying to figure out the lyrics just as I am. Um, so the best you can, though, I want to encourage you, if you would sing it out, sing it out loud, um, this focus of every act of love, we bring the kingdom come, meaning we bring the kingdom of God to somebody's life when we care and we serve them. So, uh, so let's stand, we'll sing it loud, and then grab your t-shirt today. Lord bless you.